Please listen carefully. Before we get started, a content review. Today's episode talks about death and suicide. This can be really intense and it may bring up personal reactions. If you are having thoughts about suicide, there is help available, and this is the time to talk to someone you trust. In the United States, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline is 1 800 273 8255. That's 1 800 273 8255. There's also a crisis text line, 741 741. If you're in another part of the world, you can also type suicide prevention into Google. We care about you and we want you to be safe. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Hey, Lindsay. Hey, James. Welcome to our new series called Picture This. So we started this new series. We were watching TV and thinking there's a lot of people talking about mental health these days. Yeah, absolutely. I think I feel like there are relevant issues to psychiatry and in most media content that is popular these days. Yeah, not even just TV, but movies and music and other podcasts. Exactly. It's kind of cool to see uh, mental health getting such broad discussion. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I feel like that goes over really well and I'm impressed. I'm like, oh, they like handled that with a lot of nuance. And other times, there's there's certainly less nuance. Yeah. We're going to do a three-episode series about this first show, and then we'll come back to it over time. So if there are things that you think would be really interesting to talk about, let us know. Send us a note or a comment. So we're starting with 13 Reasons Why. It's a popular show on Netflix based on a book by Jay Asher. And just for time context, the book came out in 2007, and then the first season of the show was released in spring of 2017. Mm -hmm. And there's now a second season. You and I both watched it separately, and now we're here together to talk about it. We've seen the whole first season, and so because of that, there will be details about the plot scattered here, so... Spoiler alert. However, you also don't have to have seen the show to get what we're talking about. I think it'll be pretty clear. So join us. 13 Reasons Why takes place in a undisclosed suburban type town, and it mostly involves high school students and the people they know. The main character is Hannah Baker, who is a young woman who dies by suicide that's known at the beginning of the series and then it looks retroactively at sort of the events that led up to that in the format of she had created these tapes which she sent to people 13 tapes which sort of outlined different reasons ostensibly why she ended up doing this so that's the reference for the show's title 13 reasons why exactly in addition to suicide, the show also talked about a bunch of issues that teens, young adults, people in general face these days. Things like bullying, things like online harassment, things like sexual assault and trauma, things like substance use and drinking were all themes that came up during the show as well. So not just about suicide, although I think that was the most notable thing that was commented on over and over again, which probably says something about the nature of suicide and how we talk about it these days. So a lot of things stood out to me when I watched this. And our goal today is to think about this show from a psychiatric angle. Lots of people have talked about the show in different contexts, and we want to lend some mental health credence here. 
with things like what does the show say about mental illness? How true is this? And you and I t- uh, think about mental health like all the time. We do indeed. <laughs> and so we wanted to walk through the show with you as you learn about psychiatry. It's kind of an interesting way to see something that we've both seen together. Yeah. And so for this first episode, we wanted to really talk about suicide itself. Why do people attempt suicide? And what are the warning signs for suicide? Generally, what are risk factors for suicide? Helping you to get a better sense of that. Exactly. I mean, the show is called 13 Reasons Why. And I feel like that really begs the question, like, why? Like, why did this happen? And right. and why do people die by suicide at all? Yeah, and I think it's so um, varied. I think it's unique for each person. But I know that there are some kind of more common theories about why people do attempt suicide. Yeah, because suicide is something that comes up routinely. I mean, it's a really intense thing to happen, but it also can sort of become a point of like academic or research kind of interest, like a sort of theoretical understanding. Yeah. And one of the theories that I find particularly useful is called the interpersonal theory of suicide. It suggests that there are three components that together will lead to suicide attempts. So the first being thwarted belongingness. Hmm. Okay, so what's that? That is when someone does not feel accepted by other people, does not feel like they have a community. It often suggests a very significant component of social isolation. Huh. And when you say thwarted, what does that imply? That implies that someone has attempted to belong in some way, and for some reason they are feeling alone and not a part of whatever community they're seeking to be a part of. Okay, so like they put themselves out there and they've been rejected somehow or they were unsuccessful and then they feel like I must really not fit in. Exactly. And I think it's really relevant to Hannah Baker's story. Yeah. Do you remember times when she when this came up for her? I mean, I think it came out at the beginning of the series. She was portrayed as someone who was new to the school. She was trying to make friends, kind of made some initial friends and then via a series of of bullying and she felt less and less like she belonged as a part of that school's community. She felt like she didn't have any friends. And by the end of the series, she felt completely and utterly alone. Yeah. And there were a couple of times I'm thinking about like she tried to make friends with a character, Jessica, who had also moved to the school at the same time as her. And they were initially friends at first. And then she felt kind of spurned when Jessica left her to be with Alex, another character. Hannah also like having an interest in Clay and feeling like he was kind of rejecting her as well, mm-hmm. even though he from his side actually felt like he was trying to make uh, like overtures to her. Right. And so I think that's kind of a key point is like the the sense of thwarted belongingness is very internal. It does not mean that the rest of the world is, in fact, shunning you. Very true. I think that's an important distinction. Oftentimes, the sense of belongingness is internal and uh, like a perceived thwarted belongingness. Mm -hmm. Okay. What's the second component? Perceived burdensomeness. And this basically talks about the belief that an individual is a burden on others or society. Is that something somebody would like say or tell or how can you even like know that that's going on for them? It probably depends on the person as to how much they're talking to this. But in general, it refers to the belief that somehow their death is worth more than their life and that their existence is not 
helpful to other people or important to other people in some in some way. And similar to the sense of belongingness, this burdensomeness is also a perceived thing and an individual internal thing, often for the suicidal person. And it's usually a false belief. So, for instance, if you were talking to someone and they said, my family would be better off if I weren't here, and then you actually talked with their family, they might say, no, we would be devastated. That would be awful. That very thing probably applies to Hannah Baker's story. I think one of the things that stands out for me is when she lost that big sum of money that her parents were asking her Deposit it, to deposit bank. at the bank exactly and she somehow lost it and I her parents they, we were upset and and so was Hannah but I think because of that incident and she kind of acquired this sense of gosh I'm a burden to my family I don't help them I hurt them they would be better off if I wasn't here to continue hurting them mm-hmm. so it's sort of an overestimation of how much you are burdening other people without recognizing that you are probably also benefiting them at the same time exactly it's okay. a pretty significant cognitive distortion, I think, that you typically see in depression. It sounds like it, yeah. Which is often why, so we think depression often goes along with suicidal ideation, and that overlap makes a lot of sense right there. Yeah, and the show never specifically talked about depression, but I think that is an important thing to be thinking about when you're talking about suicide. Yeah, and maybe we'll talk about this a little bit more when we talk about risk for suicide, but depression is a risk factor for suicide, and it's not required, but it's a really big component. And actually, I thought in some ways a bit of a missed opportunity to me because they actually at no point talked about her, like how she was actually feeling, like that she could have been depressed or might have had symptoms of depression, right. but there was no evidence of that. I agree. I wish that the show had had chosen to highlight that more, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Okay, so so far you said thwarted belongingness and burdensomeness, what's the third component? Acquired capability. And what this means is that it's an acquired ability to overcome one's natural fear of death since this isn't something humans are born with. We're, we're born to kind of try to protect ourselves. It's like a very kind of instinctual thing. And so somehow you come to a place that you have crossed that barrier. You've overcome that fear that's sort of inherent in us. Yeah, exactly. And I think it it occurs through this process of kind of this gradual desensitization. And that can happen in a few different ways. It can happen when someone is exposed to a significant trauma. It can happen when someone is exposed to physical pain. It can happen when witnessing a traumatic event. It can happen with self-harm behaviors and prior suicide attempts. That can all lead to this acquired capability so that one does not fear death to the extent that maybe they used to before these things happened. Huh. Becoming more familiar with this idea of death and a an increased sense of the like impermanence of life. Mm-hmm. Was there a part that you saw in the story that exemplified the capability part? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think there were two traumatic situations that Hannah was involved in, the first being that she witnessed a friend's rape, which certainly represents... Exposure to trauma. Yeah, which certainly um, is an exposure to trauma. And then she herself... um, She herself was also subjected to violence during a sexual assault. Exactly. The show did depict her being raped in kind of the penultimate episode. The combination of those two things helped to desensitize her to the idea of death. Okay. 
So that theory you're talking about makes a lot of sense with her. This sense of not belonging, that she was increasingly a burden on her family, and then there was this sense of not fearing death in the same way anymore. Yeah, exactly. I, I do think her story really does fit this interpersonal theory of suicide quite well. And that was a theory that was developed by Dr. Joyner in 2005. There's a couple other theories that exist about suicide, and these are kind of psychological theories that people have developed to try and make sense of what's happening, because we often don't really have a sense of what was going on for someone. Yeah, what are some of the other theories? There's a theory by Marsha Linehan of the University of Washington in 1993, and this really came out of this idea of emotional dysregulation. And if you've heard Marshall Linehan's name before, it's probably in the context of dialectical behavioral therapy, which really involves a lot about emotion regulation. So that will make sense. She had this idea that suicide behavior, self-harm behavior, has a role. And its, its function or its role is to help someone regulate their emotions. Like it's helping them solve problems. Problems to them don't feel solvable. And so this is a way to make the problem end. So it, it really looks at suicide from like a functional standpoint, it sounds like. Exactly. what is the How is this serving them? What is the function of it? Why are they doing this? And so one is to regulate your emotions, to feel calmer. Sometimes you think about that with self-injury, like cutting oneself. It becomes like a, uh, this pressure valve to relieve distress. Mm-hmm. The other thing that it can sometimes do is communicate how distressed you are to other people like i am so upset right now that i'm wanting to kill myself that communicates really strongly to someone else immediately how distressed you are Mm -hmm. and so that's another function that suicide can have so are those kind of the two things that dr linehan has pointed out in her theory or are there other things that she's looked at Yeah, so those three are the three things, right? So regulating emotions, solving problems, and communicating distress. I see. And how do you think Hannah's story fits into that theory? I don't think it's quite as clean as the interpersonal theory that you had said earlier because her problems were largely interpersonal, and so that's why it fits in with Joyner's theory. Emotional dysregulation to me often comes from this sort of internal sense of turmoil and uncertainty. And I think she had a little bit of that, right? So she was experiencing really strong emotions and she was kind of trying to solve this problem like people don't understand me. And and this idea of making tapes to communicate her level of distress, I think actually does kind of hit on that. Yeah, definitely. Functional component. Sure, sure. There's also these doctors, Wenzel and Beck, created this more theory that's in line with cognitive theory and if you've heard of Beck that's probably in conjunction with cognitive behavioral therapy so that name will also sound kind of familiar. So what does this theory have to say about suicide? It has this idea of you develop the sense of hopelessness along with a selective attention on things that are negative and things that are causing you to be isolated and feel in pain cognitive distortion you're selectively paying attention to certain things and not others Mm -hmm. and then you turn and your attention fixates so that's another cognitive Mm -hmm. process your attention fixates on suicide i'm going to think about it i'm going to think about possibilities i'm going to think about plans i'm thinking about where i'm going to do it so it sounds like one's cognition gets more focused on negative things in the world kind of you have this negative valence and you're filtering out all the positive things that you could kind of let in and then that leads to an 
all-encompassing focus on suicide? Yeah, I think it's very cognitive. It's very in your brain that's doing this as opposed to the actions that are happening around you. It's very internal. Yeah, and I feel like with 13 Reasons Why, like we've alluded to, we didn't have a great sense of exactly what was going on in Hannah Baker's mind, even though I guess we did have the tapes, but those were very much focused on kind of interpersonal things, relationships. Do you have a sense of how this theory might apply to Hannah? A couple of things that I noticed during the show, there was an episode when she said, well, I guess I didn't really have any friends. And that felt to Mm -hmm. me like a bit of a cognitive distortion because Mm -hmm. she did seem to have friends. She, Clay was a friend of hers. There were a couple of other characters that were sort of intermittently friends of hers. And this idea that she was sort of writing them off wholesale. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I think that all of us have cognitive distortions and teenagers in general are particularly prone to sort of seeing the world in a kind of distorted lens. So I'm not faulting her. I'm just pointing out that that was sort of a a time when I felt like her cognition, her sense was, that was a very internal way to look at the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if we can kind of switch gears a little bit and think more about risk factors for suicide. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this came up a lot for me because people were searching, right? At the very beginning, the first episode, her dad says, there has to be a reason. Mm-hmm. That makes me think that he was surprised by what happened. And we often think about suicide and we think how likely is this to happen like what is this person's risk for for actually hurting themselves Mm -hmm. and sometimes we're even asked to specifically comment on that if somebody has said they're thinking about hurting themselves sure so there's a few different factors and i like to clump them into different groups because it's easier for me to remember because there's lots and lots of different ones how do you like to group them the first predisposing or you might say like historical risk factors or static risk factors sometimes people call them because they don't really change that much so that would be like epidemiologic demographic stuff like Uh being a man yep men are in general more likely to die by suicide than women especially if you're over the age of 60 if you're of a caucasian race or alternatively minority groups Mm -hmm. like sexual minority native american Mm -hmm. being a veteran Yeah. Another static risk factor that's an important one is if you've ever attempted suicide in the past. Yeah. Other things that are part of somebody's life, having a psychiatric disorder and any psychiatric disorder would probably fall into this category. The most common you might think of would be depression or or other mood disorders like bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, but also things you might not think about like having an eating disorder like having PTSD or a substance use disorder. Yeah, essentially any psychiatric disorder increases one's risk Uh of suicide compared to the general population. What about medical illnesses? Medical illnesses also raise someone's risk of suicide. Having chronic pain is kind of another more, well, I guess it's not a static risk factor, but it's a risk factor that can be a part of medical illness. Yeah, absolutely. I would call that a static risk factor. Now, there are things that can become worse, right? So then it become more dynamic, right, or more situational what would those be like situational risk factors could look like having a relationship end experiencing a breakup experiencing a death in the family losing your job having a financial crisis absolutely some sense of loss i would also add the medical problem similarly right if you have chronic pain and your chronic pain is really intensified mm-hmm. and you're feeling like a that pain crisis uh-huh. sure. absolutely So in a psychiatric way, similarly, if your psychiatric condition intensifies, right? So people can have major depressive disorder, but not be in a 
in a depressive crisis. state right mm-hmm. now, right? So if you are experiencing a lot more depression, which would be a lot of the symptoms we've already talked about, where your mood is down, you're feeling more guilty, more lonely, more isolated, more anhedonic, those would all be qualities that would indicate that your depression has gotten worse and therefore you're more at risk right now. Mm-hmm. I would also add things like using more substances, feeling more isolated, being more angry. In so much as schizophrenia is a predisposing factor, it can also be a dynamic factor where if you are psychotic and you're hearing voices that are telling you to hurt yourself, that would increase your risk of hurting yourself. Absolutely, yeah. Now, are there things that make people less likely, like a sort of protective quality? There are indeed protective factors that mitigate someone's risk of suicide. Some of the more common ones and helpful ones would be like having social support, having a child or someone else that you're taking care of, having religious beliefs that preclude suicide are often quite helpful. Mm -hmm. Being engaged in mental health treatment is protective. Believing that engaging in care will be helpful is also quite protective. Mm -hmm. So having some like hope for the future. Exactly. Also, your ability to problem solve or cope with Mm -hmm. the stressful things that are going on around you. So when we think about those, would you have said that Hannah was at risk for suicide? She may not have had a lot of chronic risk factors. They didn't really mention any that stand out to me. But in terms of situational... Which is, I'm sorry, which is not uncommon for young people. Right, right. Absolutely. But in terms of situational risk factors, I think there were a fair amount of things going on. She had a lot of interpersonal relationship stress, form of this bullying that was going on. She had witnessed a traumatic event and then she was herself the victim of a trauma. Those two things stand out in my mind as kind of escalating her risk of suicide. Absolutely. And in terms of some of the symptoms we were just talking about, again, they don't say that she has depression. Right. It's unclear. So we can't say that she that is a sort of chronic risk factor for her. But when I'm looking at the symptoms she's having, she's crying, she feels guilty, she feels lonely, Mm -hmm. she feels desperate. I agree. I suspect she did suffer from depression, but it's it's unclear. It's not commented on, but I'm I'm sort of listing these symptoms as like things that make me think, even if we're not going to call this depression, she has a lot of symptoms that elevate her risk for suicide. I think there was also at the very end, a sense of anger, a sense of feeling trapped, mm-hmm. and a sense of seeking revenge. And those are like really intense warning signs, I would say, for suicide. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think some of the things she was saying in the last episode were kind of concerning, like, I need things to stop. I need everything to stop, like people, life. Those are kind of some serious red flags that she was talking to the counselor about. Absolutely. Yeah. And then procuring ways to hurt oneself which she does in the last Mm -hmm. episode Mm -hmm. now i'm not saying people should have known or people should have done yeah and i think it's just helpful to be aware of what what those signs might be Mm -hmm. absolutely today we've talked a lot about why do people die by suicide and then also what some of the warning signs and risk factors are for suicide heavy i mean it's a lot to think about and it's a lot to reflect on It can feel really intense and sad when Mm -hmm. I think about how I'm responding to this. 
this idea that someone could be in such a dark space that this would start to feel like it was making sense for them. Yeah, I think it can be helpful to at least understand some of these theories because a lot of the times after a suicide, people are wondering why, why, why? And that's what everyone in Hannah's life is wondering. And so kind of having a sense of what could have been going on for her, it can be helpful in understanding patients that we work with and anyone in our lives that may be affected by suicide. I totally agree with you. We're going to keep talking about 13 Reasons Why. We've got two more episodes. And meanwhile, we'd really like to hear what you think and how this show has impacted you. You can check out our website and let us know. You can leave a comment or review. Our website is www.psychessentials.org. You can also check us out and you can always send us a note or comment on Twitter and Facebook. We're at Psych Essentials. You can find more episodes of Psych Essentials, including our upcoming two on iTunes, where you can also rate, comment, and share. Our music is by Javier Suarez off his album Tumbling Dishes. There's always a link on our website. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time. Bye. Bye.